The reading this morning is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, and the first 12 verses. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to see you all this morning. Let me just start this uh, sermon by asking you a question. Where are you from? Many different countries, many different places. It is a question that we are frequently asked in this church, aren't we? Uh, in fact, I was asked this question at least twice before the beginning of this service. Where do you come from? And, um, and I think um, it, it, is a, it is a question that uh, we see reflected in, in this passage as well. It is a question that can be helpful as it reminds us sort of of our identity where we come from. It can also sometimes be a slightly 
painful question. Um, just to give you an illustration, there were a few friends of mine. I'm, so I'm from the Netherlands, for those of you who don't know, and I'm more specifically from a small town called, called Urk. And most of you will have never heard of that town. And interestingly, most people in the Netherlands have. There were a few friends of mine from St. Andrews who are here in the church this morning. I won't mention their names. But they came to visit the Netherlands. And so they flew into Schiphol Airport. They walked through the airport. They came to border control, showed their passports there. So the guy there was asking, okay, so, so where do you guys come from? Well, we come from America. And, and what is the purpose of your visit? Well, we're, we're going to a wedding here in the Netherlands. Okay, all very interesting. So, so where are you going to stay? Well, we're going to go to Burk. Why would you want to go there? <laughs> was the question that was asked to them. And I think that question really summarized how a lot of people in the Netherlands view our hometown. Um, our town, to, to be fair, it is, it is known for, for a lot of things, some good things and some not so good things. We are a town that, in terms of percentage, we're the most Christian town in the Netherlands, and therefore, perhaps, therefore, uh, also the town with the biggest families in the Netherlands. Um, another good stat is that we are known to be the most generous town in the Netherlands, so whenever there are charged for people giving away to charity. Our town does very well, and, and I would say we're quite a hospitable town as well. But maybe because we are known to be a Christian town, uh, people also scrutinize us for, for other things. And, and you know, I already said we're a town with big families. There are a lot of young people there as well. And so things that happen elsewhere in the Netherlands, and in fact elsewhere around the world, with young people are perhaps a bit exaggerated in our town. So there's a lot of misuse of alcohol and drug and all that sort of things. And whenever there's something happening in our church, in our church, in our hometown that is negative, it seems the national press just jumps on it and puts it all over the newspapers, puts it in the national news. And so if you Google our town, you'll, you'll find it in all sorts of contexts. It's, it's very hard for me not to be reminded where I come from. And I think in this passage, we also encounter someone who is reminded where he has come from. We encounter this person named Saul or Paul, depending on whether you want to use his Jewish name or his Greco-Roman name. And as Ruth has just read, he encounters this Jewish sorcerer, false prophet, by the name of Bar-Jesus, or also called Elymas. And I'm sure that when Paul encountered this man and saw how he was trying to keep this proconsul, this very influential man by the name of Sergius Paul, from turning from darkness to light, from following the Lord Jesus Christ, how Paul saw that this Jewish sorcerer Bar-Jesus or Alamus was opposing the way, I'm sure he was reminded where he came from. Because one day, just a few chapters back in Acts, we can read how Paul was opposing the way and trying to imprison followers of Jesus and even agreeing with them being put to death. We see how Paul encounters 
this Jewish sorcerer who is filled with the seed while he is filled with the Spirit. And when Paul, in, in this prophetic moment, speaks out this, this word of God to Elymas, saying, you're going to be temporarily blind, and, and Elymas then stumbles along the road and he needs someone to take his hand, of course, he would be reminded of what had happened to him. How he was traveling on the road to Damascus when that great light from heaven came and when Jesus, the risen Christ, revealed himself to him and when Paul was in fact slain with temporary blindness until someone prayed with him. Paul was reminded through this encounter with Elamas, I'm sure, where he came from. And that it wasn't because he was any better or any smarter or any more accomplished that he was now here proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, being sent out from this church in Antioch. No, he was here because of the grace of God. He was here because Jesus Christ came to find him in his deepest darkest darkness and revealed himself to him. He was here because of grace. So perhaps this question, where do we come from, is also a question that we should be asking ourselves this morning. Where do we come from? The New Testament is very clear. We were once in the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We were held in darkness by the forces of evil. But Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning, Jesus Christ came to find you in your deepest darkness, wherever it was, whenever it was. You were found by the light of the world that came down from heaven to look for you, to find you. And you're not here because you're smarter than anyone else. You're not here because you're better or braver or more accomplished than anyone else. You're here because God loves you and because God is gracious and because he came to find you. I just wanted to remind you this morning at the beginning of the sermon where you come from, okay? But in this passage, we, we find something else. We find somewhere else where we can say that we, we perhaps come from. And it is that something else is that church there in Antioch that we read about. Because this moment in the book of Acts is the first time that we read about an intentional mission to the Gentile nations. So up until this point, mission has been primarily focused on, on Jewish people. There have been some converts from the nations as well. But this is the first time that the Holy Spirit is sending Saul and Barnabas together with John on an intentional mission to go and reach the nations. And I think for a lot of people that would read or hear the book of Acts being read to them for the first time, they could probably trace the ancestry of their local Christian communities to this church here in Antioch. And to be honest, this morning here in St. Andrew's Baptist Church, I'm not quite sure how far we can go back or how easy it would be to trace our ancestry in terms of where our church comes from. But way down the line, I would say there is a highly likely chance that we have come somehow from this church in Antioch. This is where we've come from. 
And, and so this, this church here in Antioch, this church where if you, if you read verse 1, you see this is, this is a very international church with people from different social standings. And they become this major catalyst in world mission. Now, if this is where we come from, we might want to ask ourselves a question just for a moment this morning. What makes this church so special? What makes this church so special? What, if we want to remind ourselves of where we come from, what should we be looking at? The practices of this church that make it into this catalyst of global world mission. Now, I think you might be surprised if you go with me to the passage and try to figure out what it is that makes this church so special. Because in verse 2, we read the simple sentence, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. What makes this church so special? Well, it seems not so much. It one of the things that we encountered, there are a church that is worshiping the Lord together. Apparently, there, there are a group of Christians that, if you look at verse 1 and sort of see the names there in their various tasks, there are teachers there, there are prophets there. There are a group of Christians that come together regularly for worship, exposing themselves to the teaching of God's Word, exposing themselves to what God has to say through the prophetic word, through the Holy Spirit, to the church at that moment. They come together for worship. Isn't that what we are doing here this morning as well? Perhaps something very similar. They are a church that comes together for worship to remind themselves together where they've come from. You know, if you've had that experience where Jesus Christ has revealed himself to you, if you had that moment where you can say, I know I've turned from darkness to light, I know the Son of God has set me free, it is good to come together with your brothers and sisters, because if you've had that moment, it means you're part of a family, you're part of the family of God. You have brothers and sisters sitting next to you here, and it is good to come together and worship the Lord. It is a good practice. It's something that we just want to do week by week or day by day, or however often, it is good to come together to worship. Something the church in Antioch, the church where we come from, did. And secondly, we, we see something else that they did. Again, wondering, is this going to be something spectacular, or what is it that they're doing? This incredible church. Verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed... They place their hands on them and send them up. Apparently, this church in Antioch, this great catalyst of world mission, is a church that prays. And if we read in Luke and the book of Acts, both written by Luke, we see that prayer forms an incredible, important element in the mission of Jesus. If we continue to read in the book of Acts, we see how prayer is such a fundamental aspect of the early Christian communities. In Acts 2, we read that after that day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people are convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and are being baptized, they come together every day, and they come together under the teaching of the apostles, they come together in fellowship, 
They come together to break the bread, and it says they come together to pray. Prayer is a fundamental element of these early Christian communities. And as a church, we have engaged in a year of prayer as well this year. And, and we do pray, of course. We pray individually. We pray in this service. But I also just want to remind you afresh and just take this opportunity here. We, we also as a church engage in certain prayer meetings. And, and there is really value in these prayer meetings as well because they allow us to pray in certain ways that we aren't able to pray on a Sunday morning. So, for example, I mean, a lot of you may just not be familiar with the prayer meetings that we have as a church, but we have a weekly prayer meeting on a, on a Saturday morning, 9 to 10 on Zoom. And it's very simple. We come together and share some of the needs within our church fellowship, some of the needs within the world, and we pray together for them so that when we see each other on a Sunday morning, we might know a bit better how to encourage someone. We can say to someone, I have been praying for you, I am praying for you. On a Wednesday night, once every other week, the first and third Wednesday of the month, we have a prayer meeting as well where we focus on one of the ministry teams in our church. So this past Wednesday, for example, we had a prayer meeting where we focus on the children's ministry in our church. And so we just talk for a while. What do we do for the children and the families, young families in this church? Um, we talked about who is involved in the leadership of the children's ministry. We talked about what are the needs. And then we prayed into these things. And it was just a really good time to encourage each other to pray for the specific needs that there are. And perhaps also just to become aware of how we might be able to contribute to certain ministries, either by just encouraging someone or by knowing, oh, there is a gap in this ministry, they're looking for someone, I might know someone. I mean, these prayer meetings, they, they are vital moments within the life of our church as well. And I just wanted to remind ourselves and encourage us as St. Andrew's Baptist Church here that these meetings are part of who we are as a church, and they're good. If, if you don't know they're on, I would really encourage you to just give it, you know, give it a go and come along to one and see what it's like to come together for a specific time of prayer. This church, the church we come from, the Church of Antioch, was known to be a church of prayer. It's funny, I mean, there's nothing magical about what is happening here in terms of they're not sort of engaged in some, some, some sort of strategic prayer program um, as, as you think, how, how can we reach the world? Who should we be sending? Acts 13 simply tells us they're worshiping, they're praying, and then the Holy Spirit takes the lead and says, send these people out. And thirdly, they're also engaging in another practice that you may have read about in Acts 13, verse 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then in verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now the practice of fasting may be a little bit of a lost art to us as Protestant Christians. I mean, I was uh, standing in a food shop in Paisley the other week, 
and uh, having a chat with this chap who looked a bit pale, so I asked him, you know, how are you doing? And he said, I'm fine, I'm just hungry because I'm, you know, it's the Ramadan, so I'm not eating all day for a month. Uh, that's our practice of fasting, which is incredible. So I said, well, I have a lot of respect for you and uh, just wanted to share with you, I'm a Christian. And he was like, oh, oh, you're a Christian, so do Christians fast as well? I was like, well... Some church traditions have some days of fasting, uh, but a lot of, us as, a lot of us Christians don't fast too regularly, I would say. But it is funny, we, we go to the New Testament, we read how fasting is an integral part of the ministry of Jesus, how early Christian communities are engaged in fasting, not just here in the book of Acts, but also elsewhere, wherever there are perhaps um, fasting can, can serve all sorts of purposes. It can be a time of rededication to God. It can be a time that you take intentionally if there is a special decision to be made. Or it can be all sorts of reasons to fast. But I do think we should just wonder, looking at these texts in the New Testament and looking at our own practices, is like, why, why has this become sort of a lost art in our tradition? Just to give you one example, uh, Tini and I were part of a, a Pentecostal church uh, back in the Netherlands before we moved to Scotland seven years ago. And in that church, there was also no specific time to fast, no specific days of, for fasting. But at one point, the church leadership, and I don't know why exactly anymore, decided we're just going to engage in a week of prayer and fasting. And they were incredibly surprised to see how many people of the church showed up that week to come together to pray and fast, and, and people did it in different ways. You know, some people can go without food for a day, others just skip a meal, others fast in different ways, but it was incredible to see what happened that week. As the church came together to pray and to fast, people rededicated their lives to the Lord. Some people came to the Lord, some people decided to get baptized, and since that one week, it has become part of the annual rhythm of that church. I believe they do twice a year now, just a week of prayer and fasting. And it's not that I want to say that we, you know, we should institute this specific program and we should adhere to all these requirements, but wouldn't it be good if we see this practice being so widespread in the early church to consider why it might be a lost art for us and what we could gain by perhaps um, re-engaging in this ancient practice. Time to rededicate ourselves to the Lord, a time to focus on Jesus by foregoing something that we need most, namely food. So we come then to this church in this passage, this church where we have come from, the church in Antioch. And perhaps we're, we're wondering at first, you know, what is this, what is this church going to be? If this is the catalyst for world mission, if this is a church through which many churches in the ancient worlds were founded, and if this is a church that perhaps ultimately is our ancestor, a St. Andrew's Baptist Church, what makes this church so special? Where do we come from? Well, I think in our passage this morning is very simple. We see a church that is faithful in what they're called to do, namely to come together and worship, and they pray and they fast. And this morning I just want to encourage us to reconsider 
where we have come from. I mean, first of all, again, be reminded where you come from. Be reminded, just like Paul, that we are here not because of anything that we have done, not because of anything we've accomplished, not because we're so good, but we are here because of the grace of God. We are here because Jesus loves us. We are here because Jesus has shown himself to us. And we are here gathered as a family. We come from the dominion of darkness and we are placed into the kingdom of light. But then secondly, we come from this church in Antioch that perhaps strangely looks a lot like our church. If you look at the names of the leaders, you'll see it's a very international church. They have people from all sorts of social standings. And there's nothing particularly special about them, except that they are faithful in coming together for worship and prayer and fasting. And it is in that context that the Spirit of God takes the lead and calls Barnabas and Saul and sends them out. And sends them out to the nations to remind people where they've come from. And that is our calling as well as St. Andrew's Baptist Church. To be reminded afresh where we've come from. That we're saved by grace. And that we don't have to invent all sorts of fancy programs of how to evangelize or who we should set apart to go where. But that we can just... Be faithful in what we're called to do, to gather together as a church family in worship, prayer, and fasting, and trust that the Spirit of God will take the lead, show us where to go, and make us fruitful. Amen.